I'm recording my end. Good. Well, we, we should be live now. Well, how are you getting on, live people? I'm turning the old phone off as well, because that'll be interrupting and annoying me. Um, nice one. Okay, so we are going to be talking about Ekduk and the story that you put up, episode 35. Isn't it? Yes. Now, we were chatting there a while ago, and I guess while people are kind of joining, um, we can uh, have a little bit of a prelude to the to the story chat because you were describing how our brains work in a little bit of a different way. And I think it's a complementary way. I think that's how we... But I actually think this is interesting and this is why we work together so well and how we create stories so well together. Now explain how your brain works. <laughs> I have a slightly strange brain because... While I'm mostly a divergent thinker, I also have a very strong bias in favor of like gathering in and synthesizing and kind of summarizing information, which I think is something that I do a lot of as a storyteller. Like whenever we're like, oh, here's a huge big thing that needs to be summarized. Sarah, can you do that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's your part. That's definitely, definitely that's your like part. Automatically my part. Um, and... Yeah, we were talking about it because it's it's the kind of thing that in conversation and especially in conversation when we're actually like trying to have a back and forth on a post-show chat, it's actually a little bit difficult to break into because I, al- I also have a great way of sounding very authoritative about stuff that I'm not necessarily an authority on. So I will give my opinion <laughs> to you as if it is absolutely indisputable fact. And, uh, Definitely. You know, that that can be a little bit difficult to... Um, can get you in trouble. Engage in trouble. with. Not going to lie. Uh, sure. Whereas I think it also can be... I think you're, you're more... I'm not sure how to describe it. You're definitely more... Oh, don't try and describe my brain. Me. Yeah, don't try and describe my brain. Well, I, I think that they're like, what, what I automatically do is I look at the whole for the whole picture straight away. I, I don't go into, I can kind of look at um, the overlying kind of arc of a story that bit easier. So I don't know if that, that's divergent or not. Uh, I don't think it really is uh, because I don't, I don't think I accumulate the, I don't think I accumulate the information as you do and then boil it down to its roots and its, its core as well as you do in fact that's one of the best things that you do you find the truth in something straight away or or the reason or the backing or the reason why the character did something whereas i'll be like okay in a second but what happens in the whole story what, like where is the arc where's the ebb and the flow and what's what are all the bigger pieces opposed to the, the specific truth in it i don't know what that means my brain does though i'm not sure either i was kind of like i'm on pretty solid ground when i'm describing my own brain but if i'm talking about somebody else it's kind of tricky uh, I just got a comment there from Pearl saying Aaron is quieter. He is. Uh, I've turned him up as loud as he'll go. But uh, Aaron's just going to be... Get in? Yeah, if you... Is there a way of, a way of doing it on my end? Please. Yeah, I think if you can get in slightly closer and as long as you're not kind of spiking anything in terms of your... Sure. Uh, 
these will be going up on our uh, podcast pages as well. So this is a live chat, yes, but we will be releasing it as a live or a live recorded podcast as well. So don't you worry, you can listen and it'll be nicely streamlined by Oshin and When that is done, Aaron is recording his own audio and I'm recording my audio. So they will be, we'll be able to even them out. But yeah, no, unfortunately, just uh, streaming being streaming. Um, there's going to be a little bit, it's going to be a little bit. There's a handful. little bit, there's a little bit of a thing. A little bit of a thing. Hopefully only a little um, bit of a thing. I wanted to open up the thing to have a look at. Anyway, so yes, I'm glad that people are joining. That's all lovely. I'm also glad to be talking to you, Sorka, about today's story, episode 35 of the Candle Tales podcast, which is a story we recorded in February in the Sugar Club, which is gas crack altogether and it was for women and warriors and the story we, re- we released was Aikduk and we'll get to we'll get to picking apart Aikduk in a little bit I think what I want to ask you kind of on a broad thing to start the ball rolling and to hear from other people as well is why as human beings uh, human doings human everythings why do we tell stories ah the big question big, big question, question right um I'm yeah there's a there's an interesting theory about this um that that this is actually how human beings process information um that we we actually think in story um it's kind of the natural ecosystem for our minds and so the reason that like every major world religion is based around stories um is 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 exactly that that's that's how we think that's how we uh synthesize and process information is by putting it into a story and like you'll hear you'll hear this from different fields like if you think about uh the therapeutic field um i remember a great great quote from i can't remember um i remember quotes but i don't remember where i read them Somebody very clever once said that people either, uh, until people can articulate their stories, they act them out. And that's why people get into like bad patterns of behavior or like self-destructive patterns of behavior because they're they're enacting a trauma that they can't articulate. So actually storytelling is really, really important for human beings. Um, we need to be able to tell our own stories um, or else our stories tell us kind of in a way. And that's why people kind of reenact traumatic patterns. Um, and so, yeah, like stories are, I, I think almost, it almost becomes difficult for me to describe a story because story encompasses so many things because it encompasses our sense of self and it encompasses our worldview and it encompasses our faith traditions that and, sure. and it also I mean, encompasses like media yeah like once you start looking at what a story is everything's a story essentially it's like oh great writing your shopping list essentially is a story you're telling yourself how that you will be you will be you will you will be going to the shop it's a future imagine the situation that you're putting yourself in and you're looking around the shelves and it's a story you know like it's brilliant it's it's amazing we're the only creatures capable of creating stories that we fundamentally believe in and they're completely unreal 
and whether it's past or future, they're just imagined creations that we are constantly making and we're constantly making up. And so that's how, you know, we learn and that's how we're taught and that's how we learn third person develop or third person perspective. That's how we grow empathy is learning stories. And I heard a brilliant chat recently. I was on uh, Shakespeare's birthday a couple of days ago, whatever day it was. Uh, happy birthday, Shakespeare, belatedly. Um, I think it was just a day. I don't think he'll mind. I don't think I, it's I don't think, Do people know when he was born? Nah, they don't even know who the guy was. And um, uh, thanks, Pearl. And also, hi, hi Gina back to you. Anna. Uh, Gina. Ah, and Anna. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, so, but uh, uh, I, I, again, quote, don't know who said it, can't remember. Um, but he said something brilliant about the the fundamental reason he loves Shakespeare. And I think the fundamental reason I love stories and we all love stories is because it gets you to acknowledge differences. And by putting yourself into, a, as an actor or a performer or as an audience member, by putting yourself into the mind frame of somebody who has a completely different world view to you, has like is either a villain or a narcissist or completely devoid of, of some characteristics that you hold very dear, it makes you connect to a difference and it makes you see the connections and makes you see the similarities and essentially we're all we all get sad we all get happy we all grieve and we all mourn the same way essentially so it it, it strips back some of the bigger differences and just leaves you a bit raw and, and more connected to the human condition i guess but that's i guess that's shakespeare and that's the big big dramas um but and what i wanted to ask you following on from your answer there which was excellent was why specifically <laughs> do we as Irish people maybe, but why do we love sad stories so much? Well, that's a that's a that's a question. Um I think we've talked about this a little bit before though, because like I I did a lot of research in kind of the different stories that cultures tell in my um in my job uh over the last kind of several years. And it's really interesting because I think that's one of the key differences is like, is this a culture that likes, you know, sad stories or happy stories? Because different cultures like different types. Um, and like, yeah, Ireland definitely likes the type of story that is sad. We definitely have more stories that are tragic, I think, than than happy if you're looking at the mythology and the folktale kind of stuff. Um, although, personally, I haven't counted. Maybe somebody has. Um, but we tend to, yeah, we tend to like sad stories. Our, our most popular stories are the very, very tragic ones. Um, and it's funny because you could attribute that to kind of a post being a post a post colonial culture and like the fact that we've had a lot of tragedy and trauma in the cultural kind of memory. Um, but it goes back further than that, of course, because it goes back, you know, into the mythology, which is not anything to do with with colonization although there's a lot of stories of invasions and and battles um so yeah i don't know is the answer to that why we are so into sad stories but it's it's definitely a feature of irish culture and irish life um and it's something that i think is broadly kind of healthy I think a lot of the Western world is very averse to discomfort and uh, death and 
anything that touches on that. Uh, and so they don't tend, tend to tell stories as much that are painful. Whereas there are other cultures, and Ireland is one of them, that, that really do like to kind of go through the, the catharsis of, of tragedy and pain. Yeah, and I think that's a key thing about stories and whatever about connecting as human beings or what I was talking about with, with Shakespeare. I think, like John O'Donoghue, I'm just looking up at uh, on Adam Cara there, and like John O'Donoghue has a beautiful way of kind of seeing the, the poetry coming out of the land and the sadness in a morning prayer. You know, like the fact that you acknowledge rising with a bit of sadness in your heart but like the sadness is also kind of peppered with a longing and, and, and joy for for more and the fact that love and to be in love with someone is also peppered with sadness because you know that this beauty will will end you know and that's kind of like even though that you could get to the highest point of ecstasy with living it's kind of a tweak of sadness there because you know it can't last. So there's this, this acknowledgement of, of kind of it being a, a sad moment as well as a ha- happy moment. I think the, the duality of happy-sad is all, always kind of there. And I think with sad stories, we get a chance to use up some of that sadness that's stored in us because we get to hear it and we get to go, oh, fuck yeah. Like I remember, I still, you know, I still remember coming back from traveling. I was away for a few months and hearing you telling the story of Cucullin's death. And I was just like, it, after kind of two or three days of being on the road and just motoring and going through just steady, just jum, 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 getting to a place, to a place, to a place. Then hearing a story that just moved me, I just, I, I, I felt for the first time in ages properly. I felt like a human, I felt like a human, an emotional being for the first time in a long time. And I think that's the power of, of sad stories as well. And that's why we're inclined to like look for that as well, uh, as the happy and as the comedy and just to, to feel something. In. I think you're right about the power of, of a sad story, because I think it is it is those, I often call it negative emotions, although I don't think they're inherently negative. Um, it's those It's those emotions that feel more powerful. And and especially when we're kind of like hearing them in a group, uh, which is how we usually tell the kind of live stories, um, you feel very connected to the other people around you as well. And I think that's one of the really special things about like, you know, storytelling live, which is what we started doing and what we hopefully will be able to do again someday. Um, <laughs> Is that is that you you don't like this is one of the wonderful things about storytelling is that it it is a it is a very ancient form of telepathy because you are you are putting images and feelings and and emotions into people's hearts and heads and then the entire crowd all of the people there listening and focusing kind of sync up and it it becomes this this very powerful kind of collective energy. And I hope some of that comes across in the recording of of the the story in this podcast because that was well, that was hey, some strong well, energy. I was going to get to this in in, in a little bit later, but I think you've seg- segued into it perfectly here. And in terms of what we're we're trying to do with the podcast and create it some way similar to 
our live performances where it is, there is a, a huge connection to the audience and a huge feedback loop going on you know you, you just you're just running on the energy in the room and it's co-created and it's beautiful and it's like singing and chanting when the energy's in the room it's 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 all a co-created thing is Gina will surely know. And, hi, Mom. Yeah, <laughs> yes, hi, Mer. And actually, Anna sent us a comment uh, about stories from the perspective of the powerful, which I think is very valid. It's kind of that history written by the victors idea that, like, often sure. often the stories... And actually, that's one of the things that um, I think we're going to talk about a little bit more is is finding the stories that are not from the perspective of the powerful and the stories that are marginal. But we'll get on to that let's in a second. Get, well, let's get back to that because um, what I wanted to mention was this form of telepathy. And we've had a number of sibling telepathy moments where live shows will be able to finish each other's sentences or we'll pick up and drop off. And But there's other, another beautiful symmetry that goes, goes along with live shows, which is the telepathy with the musicians. Because they've worked out a structure of, uh, you know, a couple of moods, a couple of... Um, things that they'll go through a few different chord changes and everything but they essentially if it's a one man one man musician then he's basically improvising with us and if it's a two two man team they have to improvise kind of together with the storyteller as well and there's a beautiful kind of you know I remember one of our first days Dara Kenny he he missed a bum note like and it, a fraction of a second later I stuttered and it was just like, I couldn't, you couldn't have been aware of it as a live show, but listen to a recording. He was like, I think I hit a bum note. And then we were on a perfect wave, you know, it was perfectly smooth and all going. And then this really mad thing happened with Dermot and Grania, part one and two. Yeah. No, and I, I still can't that's, explain it. That's, that's, I mean, I, I think it's funny that you say this sibling telepathy is something that sometimes happens as if that it, this isn't. The entire reason Candlelit Tales of Works. <laughs> like, kind we of. rely on this so much. Because so it much happens is actually true. Quite reliably. And then... All the time. It happens all the time. Yeah, we'd be gone. We'd be gone. Oh, we'd be, we'd be, we'd be... Like, we would, we would probably not have... Like, either that or we would have, like, had to entirely, like, structure this company in a totally different, different way. But no, yeah, like... Structure. I mean, how many times... Have you wronged me or I've wronged you being like, okay, so we needed to do this thing and it's been on my mind. And you've been like, oh yeah, I've already started it. Or I'll be like, oh yeah, no, I, I, you know, you'll ring me to ask me to look into something. And I'll be like, oh yeah, I was just reading that. Um, Like, this happens all of the time. Okay, but great example of this is Dear Mary Part 1. Superlative example. Super, because I think when it happens like that, it's surprising because it suddenly goes, it, it's in a different gear then. Like, that was on a different level. Um, okay, you, you, you explain it now, because I'd say people are a bit lost as to what we're on about. Well, on. So, so just explain it first. first. I recorded part one of Dear Midden Gronia, and I put it up, and Oshin recorded music for it, and he noticed that it was very, very clearly, like, more clearly than usual, kind of in four sections for for musical movements and I think I even changed the tempo um and actually we're going to try and get Oshin on next week to 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 tell us a little bit more, more about music um and so that was that was great that was cool that was a thing then Aaron recorded Dear Mid and Gronia part two and uploaded it 
And Oshin started sending messages like, "How did I will say? I will say after listening." Yeah, you you listened to it, but he he started kind of going, "Wait, how did you guys do this? What that? What the hell? How did you? How did this? What? How did you manage this? It is beat for beat synced up. It is the same tempo. He was able to use the same music. Now, if you were to try and script that." Can you even oh, imagine? Oh, it would be a nightmare. Like, you'd have to... We would because have to make sure that we both had a metronome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I listened back to it. I, I was kind of shocked because, like, even, like, you know, the four sections line up in, like, the mysterious dark part, the kind of funny, uplifting part. And every time I uh, would land a word, it, the, the, the chord would strum out and into a new section where they were running and it was fast-paced and big... And it was just like, hang on, what? So it was just uncanny. So Diamond Part 1, Diamond Grani Part 1 and Diamond Grani Part 2 have the same musical track, identically. And he's just plonked them both on top of us. And we don't know how that happened. <laughs> and were, were we to try to actually replicate that, I think we would never do it again. And this is kind of this. This is this is one of the things that I think is a is a continual conversation in Candlelit Tales, or a continual kind of push pull in Candlelit Tales because we have a, a knowledge of the value of of rehearsal and getting things really really polished, and yet we also have a very direct experience of what will arise when we just kind of let it happen spontaneously and the more people that are involved the more difficult it is for that to to that synchronicity to happen um sure. or the more the more difficult it is to rely on it happening i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the more we need to the rehearsals the more you need to really fine-tune it whereas like the spontaneity comes out but we never like we never want to actually erase the possibility of the spontaneity because that's where that's where the magic really is but there's like for example the sugar club going back to the story eight which we're are actually talking about uh, episode 35 um the the story that we recorded live in february for women and warriors with uh kind of along with her story festival um we that's that's a beautiful example of three separate stories three separate musicians completely different tones a lot of fluidity between and in around music a steady groove that Oshin kind of lays down Audrey with the flourishes with the violin and Rue kind of jumping in between you know being able to play the mando or, or guitar and, and so like there's a, there's a nice kind of level of, of uh, organic improv and spontaneity in those stories um, as well as a lot of a lot of work we put in, put into it, and that was a that was a beautiful night, and it's been a thing we've done now a few times. The Woman Warriors show it's our third. It was our third year doing it, and it was linked up nicely with the Her Story Festival. I think it was our third. I think it was our fourth because I think we did one. I think we did one in the boys' school. Um, that was me and and the boys. Uh, me and me and Rue and uh, Rushin, and another storyteller, Tara. Um, who takes people around Ishnuk. Um I I will fi- remember her surname momentarily. Um, sure you will. <laughs> sure I will. But <laughs> so her story shines a light on uh, 
stories of female characters specifically that have been left out of history and we obviously take the slant of stories of myth mythic women that have been kind of erased or forgotten so we, we had a lovely um night that night and it was beautiful to share the share the stage with mongoose and farah l j roxanne uh o'connor and uh if wolf that was also glass uh yes i remember them all didn't remember them all yeah 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 we were very 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 excited that tara flynn was able to to be the first person up on stage that was kind of amazing um and trasa kerrigan trasa kerrigan that is thank you rue trasa kerrigan was the woman that we did the first um women and warriors show with Thank you, Rue. I gave her entirely Thanks the for listening name. in, Rue. <laughs> All right, so we we have been doing this show and we've kind of formed a bit of a ritual with it in ending whatever stories we do, we end it now with the Aikduk story. So, so why, why, why has that why become our kind of ritual? Sort of? Well, I think, like, this is an interesting thing about... Um, so, Sandy Dunlop, who I worked with for years on mythology and branding and culture and all this kind of stuff, uh, all this kind of fascinating work, he had a... He has a theory about world religions. Um, he's another synthesizing thinker. Uh, he did a course in world religions, and he basically said, OK, so they're all about a central personality who has a compendium of stories that become rituals that are told and retold at certain times with certain kind of elements brought in. Um, and that's kind of the basis for them. And it's really interesting that, like, there is there are some hints that that is how Irish mythology also worked, that certain stories were told at certain times of the year. And, like, the one that I always kind of... The one that we started with was the idea that the tawn is told in the winter after dark. Um... And and that's kind of the only one that we really, that I really have any any knowledge of, um, but the Ectoc story has definitely become a kind of a ritual for us, because uh, you know making it part of the herstory collection, um, it's entire it's so perfectly aligned with the kind of mission of her story, which is about finding women who have been erased or forgotten from contemporary culture and history and mythology. Um, and and Eiktok, like, it's also just a fascinating story. So it's a story that we only have one source for. Most stories we have multiple yeah. sources for. This is a story that was translated by Richard Marsh. It's It's actually a poem. Um, it's a prose poem that was translated by Richard Marsh it's in his book Irish King and Hero Tales and I think I once forgot to credit him for it on stage but I really try and make an effort to actually credit him for this because so much of Irish mythology is untranslated we don't speak or read old Irish and so we're very reliant on people like Richard who actually are going back and translating these stories he found and he translated the poem by Eiffel um and it's the only it's the only one that we have about her. And so in case you haven't listened to uh, the story or haven't heard the story, it's Dearman's daughter who comes back to um, avenge the death of, of her father. Uh, 
by the hands of Fionn essentially and she brings back the bright the blue bright blade and defeats him but gets stabbed in the back and that's essentially the 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 story we've weeded out and we've kind of looked at a number of different other like paddings to put into it but essentially that that's the story and it's there's kind of something along with the fact that we keep on ending this very powerful show with this extremely powerful story because there's something about like you know teaming up with her story and the fact that we're kind of you know we're we're in a century now where we're really trying to trying to balance out the the sexes and trying to sort out misogyny and trying to eradicate in some degree anyway um the the problems that the patriarchy has have put on the world and just shining a light on female stories I always think it's brilliant to, to acknowledge, as, as we do, Richard Marsh, the men involved in it. I love being part of the telling of it because it's not women talking about women's problems then, and that which kind of becomes an exclusive thing where men can get turned away from. But it, it can be this like, and I, what I always say is like the stories get better exponentially for all of the characters, men and female, when all of the characters are fully rounded and more interesting and fully depicted. So fully in understanding the story of Eiklok just enhances our understanding of the Fianna and Fionn and kind of what happened. And I guess it there's a huge thing that happens at the end of the story where you always call for Eiklok's name to be shouted out. And yeah, I guess I kind of, I'm always, I, you know, this is the chance to for you to word it, um, is for you to, to tell us, why it is that you you demand a room full of people to shout out the name Ectoc. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that this one I, I got them to shout awake. Oh yeah. Because yes. uh I, I did awake this time because Ertzuk is a little bit it's a little bit difficult if you're not uh if you're not familiar with it. Um I'm also just very quickly upgrading our Zoom account because it's gonna cut us off otherwise. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, I had meant to do yeah. that. Um, I had I had very much meant to do that. So, uh, whoops. Uh, whoops! Sorry about that, so folks. Going to do this so, now. Again, what, I suppose while you're doing that, I'll just uh, I'll waffle on a little bit um, because in yeah, I guess the the story that we we managed to put together and have done for uh, a number of years. And the reason we put it, put a look at the very last story is it somehow seems to symbolise the end of the Fianna. Fiona Kula is defeated and the rightful ruler doesn't take her place. And then the downfall of the Fianna seems to happen. And it seems, you know, putting two and three together, I don't know, are joining a few dots that haven't really been written down or understood what happened to the Fianna we like the understanding that without the rightful ruler there they kind of disintegrated and she Ertuk, defeated Fionn and should have been the next leader and yet was then forgotten and I guess we were talking about rituals earlier on and the proper ritual wasn't wasn't allowed out and the, the proper ritual of seeing the next rightful ruler wasn't allowed to happen and there's something really sacred about certain rituals like storytelling, connecting, like, and even, you know, the, the power that we, the, the brilliance we have of telling sad stories and connecting to it as, as Irish people, we're amazing at funerals and we're amazing at the ritual of grieving 
and we seem to do that better than any other country and yet my heart goes out so much to people right now that are having to bury loved ones not necessarily that have died of covid but any one my housemate's friend lost a mother last week and i just really feel for people that are going through any big trauma like that right now because they're not getting the chance to grieve as we usually do because we do that ritual of grieving so well and we do that ritual of getting together and sharing the grief so well and now we can't do that and there's something kind of stuck in that you know um and there's something maybe that that was stuck in this story and there was something that was not fully let happen that we can or we can see the metaphor of of that of that happening whereas not allowing the rituals to take place kind of has a not a great effect I guess is what I'm trying to say I I agree Uh, I am still trying to bloody do this zoom thing Um, I know we have five minutes remaining oh god I'm sorry guys this is this is this is gonna this is gonna be fine Um, and (laughs) that was incredible um I think uh, Zamus and Ziara was uh, talking about um, women warriors. Thanks for commenting on the live Facebook feed. Sorry for the interruption in our chat at the moment, guys. But we'll um, we'll be curious to to hear from you guys as to yeah, how how do you think? I, 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 a story just kind of jumped to mind of like <laughs> I I didn't understand that my dog had died for like two years. I kept on going home and like seeing, like thinking Oscar was there. And like for two years, it was like, and I think it was because, you know, we didn't have a ceremony. We didn't have a thing to to come together and just like, you know, let it go. And we didn't actually acknowledge it together. I know we all like, we all had phone conversations with mom and dad and we all kind of grieved in our own way. But it wasn't as cathartic and it wasn't as connected because we weren't together and we weren't doing that ritual of mourning, which I think is so important. And I think, you know, the more you look at whether they're Irish stories or not, or, or any global uh, stories, the idea of coming together to share in an in emotion, whether it's joy in celebration for birth and renewal or whether it's for mourning and, and, and having a trauma, the, the oldest communities got together to share those and it, there's something really beautiful about being able to express that and through story you get to do that um, and certainly I think this Aictuk story got gets everybody together in this hugely fueled desire for revenge that Aictuk seems justified to get and go along with it up to the point where you realise that that's been taken away from her and there's this absolute d- denial it's just, it's just no like people have shouted out like no what um, that she gets stabbed in the back because it's not the next logical step it's not the thing that you're expecting and yet it signifies such a misstep and it signifies and represents that kind of cultural misstep and where we are maybe without f- following through with her you know, connections and our rituals and our things that we should be doing together as communities. 
and that we can't do right now, which is super tough. I'm going to let you chime in in any time that you want. Uh-huh. Pearl, you can just exit and rejoin Zoom, worst case, and you'll have another 40 minutes. Will that interrupt yeah, I think, Facebook Live? I think we might need to do that, guys. We're just going to need to interrupt have to the Facebook Live. I apologize about this. Anna, uh, yes, there are funerals. I do funerals so well. I hear you, Aaron. Thank you, Anna, for hearing me. Uh, I appreciate it. And Pearl, I think we're going to have to log off and log back on again. Uh, so yeah, we're going to do that because this is, this is just not working. It's fine. Fondle made. Fondle made. Fondle made, lads. Uh, we'll be back to you in one second. Curl of Mele. Okay. That should have gone through to Aaron's email. And he should be joining us very, very shortly. Because uh, my... WhatsApp was taking a few minutes to connect. So. Yep, Jesney, sitting here. How's it going, lads? Sorry about that. Uh, this is, these are the kinds of things that we were trying to get sorted before we started today because of... Anyway. Um, but it didn't quite work. So, Anna... Uh, I'm just going to talk to you until Aaron's able to join because uh, it'll take a couple of seconds. Uh, was Queen Maeve the only... Let me just read this. Slow computer. Come on, Lance. Queen Maeve was the only female leader. Was this done for a reason? Uh, queen Maeve was not the only female leader. Uh, queen Maeve's mother was the Queen of Connacht in some sources. So uh, she's maybe the only one that is remembered. But yeah, I mean, same reason as all other women are forgotten and erased from uh, history and contemporary life. I'm back. Yeah, switching to gallery view. And we are back up, guys. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Many apologies. Uh, I didn't realize there was a time restriction now on the two-person meeting. Now, but now we, we know. know. Now we know. Now we know. All right, well, I tell you what, why don't you give us your take on ritual, eight trauma, uh, funerals, and uh, the reason we tell stories. Go! <laughs> I mean, I had to talk for ages there. I know, it was really, really hard because I was trying to, like... Uh, supposed to be a okay. conversation. This is supposed, supposed to be a conversation. Me interviewing you. That's why I'm reading the comments. Uh, Pearl says I'm a Kiwi ancestrally mostly Irish and also part Maori the funerals are very similar I had a shock when I realised other cultures didn't do a kind of wake or Me tang too. in the like, same way you don't grieve like what like that's great to know I'm, I, I, love, I want to go to New Zealand and experience I, that I don't think it is unique to Ireland by any means I think um, oh no I don't mean that I mean, what's what's mind blowing is that some cultures don't. I agree. I think it's weird that uh, that some cultures don't do it, and I think yeah, in Ireland, like we are very aware of the of the kind of importance of funerals, and it is a huge, huge hardship to people now. You know, during the COVID crisis, that funerals are not allowed. Um, I think in in a lot of parts of the country, it's ten, uh, ten people, which usually isn't going to cover even immediate family. Um, 
And then in, in, you know, in Northern Ireland, a friend of mine in Belfast lost her mum recently and they can't go into, they have to, they can't even go into the crematorium, not even the immediate family, um, which is absolutely awful because it does, it removes that, that moment of being able to, to have that ritual of grief and closure. And there's also something about like in Ireland, the idea of having a proper send off and having a proper, uh, you know, outpouring. Um, that's really, really important. Like if you go to any funeral in a small town, the entire town will turn up. And if you go to any funeral of like somebody who's who's touched a lot of lives, everybody who the, who has been touched by that person will show up. Whereas I like in other cultures, it's it's seen as something of like an imposition to go along to a funeral where you you don't know the person very very well almost as if you're taking away from uh, the grief of the people who are there whereas I think in this country we see it as a as a very much a supportive act and a thing uh, oh Tony has also been here for a while hi Tony uh, that is our dad um, <laughs> I mean it's 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 a like it's an amazing thing to think that people don't get to grieve right now properly and we're going to go through a long long time of not properly being able to grieve and we're going to lose a lot of people and I think we're we're acknowledging that in whatever disconnected way we can imagine it and it's a sad it's a sad thing and I know people are trying to get outside and, and you know, get cabin fever and kind of there's a level of fear there as well but I think it's something to and it's something that's so good about Irish not Irish stories it's just sad stories sad stories get that cathartic response that you need to have that you need to be able to be moved I, I can listen to uh, Glenn Hansard's birthday last week he did a live stream of his birthday and for the first song he gave it socks and I just bawled crying I didn't know why I just forgot that I had emotions going on. Yeah, um, but I think that's that's a really like that's a really key thing about this social distancing that we're doing, and like this is not the first time in human history that people have had to quarantine because of a pandemic. Um, it's it's, but we are very much able to alleviate some of it through technology and connecting through technology, uh, but not all of it. Uh, there's a lot of it that we're that we're not able to miss or that we're not able to kind of replicate and that's that's hard because I think it's really showing us how how incredibly socially constructed we are as animals like we we need other humans around us we are we are herd creatures and like I'm someone who I'm very happy in my own company I'm very happy in my own space and I'm like I'm I'm big like I'm missing it now like it's it's start I'm starting to feel it in the last couple of weeks whereas in the first couple of weeks I kind of wasn't uh, but like that's just me uh, but I'm really starting to feel it now so I think everybody is starting to feel that yeah that loss of just being in a group and being able to be in a in a crowd um, and have those kinds of collective experiences whether it's at a storytelling show or at a concert or at a you know, place of worship or wherever you get that um, in your normal life. You know, we're we're all without that at the moment, and I think it's really important to acknowledge. Um, on the Eirthok story, 
just to to kind of bring it back yeah, to to I her. Gonna, I was going to literally ask you about Ethel. Yeah. Sibling telepathy, see? Ding. <laughs> Ding. Uh, on the Ethel story and on that particular way that we found of telling it, uh, that was that was very much a choice that we made. Uh, taking that that prose poem and kind of going, hang on, there are some interesting parallels here between Erthuk's story and Fionn McCool's early story. Because Fionn McCool's father is killed by Gull McMorna. Um, Ull is killed by Gull. And Gull takes over leadership of the Fianna. And then Fionn comes back as a young man and confronts Gull McMorna. And I remember hearing a retelling by... Um, I think an American guy who has an, an Irish myths podcast. I will, when we actually get this out as a as a as a podcast, I'll find it. I'll find it and I'll link it in the show notes. But he talked about how um, he told us he told the story, and then he talked about how he was really expecting Fionn to kill Gull McMorna. He was really because according to all the myths that he had ever read and heard, that's where that story was going. It was supposed to be a revenge story where Fionn McCool goes and like trains, becomes this like total badass, confronts Gull McMorna, kills the dragon that he's not able to kill, saves everybody. And then they finally meet and he was fully expecting it to be a fight. And that's not what happens in the story. Instead, Fionn says to Gull, we can fight if you want or you can follow me. And Gull McMorna becomes one of the captains of the Fianna under him. Um... And so that was an interesting thing with the Eirkduk story as well, was that she, now I think she's a lot more in the rage than Fionn is, but she she is, she is also loses a father to the captain of the Fianna. And she goes away and she trains and she becomes this total badass. She comes back to Ireland and she beats him. She's the only person to beat Fionn McCool in single combat. She bests him. She breaks him. She knocks him down to where he's a year recovering from the wounds she gives him. And that was where I was kind of thinking, well, hang on. She's then stabbed before she can deliver the death blow. Was she going to deliver the death blow? Does she have a moment there where she has a choice? Is there, is there, and like, that was where I found it really interesting, where I was like, well, what if we actually give her that moment, if we extend that moment slightly and say... She has a choice now where she can she can kill him or not kill him. And either way, she has kind of won the captaincy of the Fianna. Because although it passes in different ways, this is one of the ways that it passes. Gull became captain of the Fianna after killing the leader of the Fianna. Ertuk is in a position where she can become captain of the Fianna after killing captain of the Fianna. And this is also one of those times where I'm like, and I have to say it every time I tell a Fianna story. There are women in the Fianna. A third of the Fianna are women. But, it but Fianna, fucking bears repeating. Because if you yes. don't repeat it, we all go into that the conditioned, the men of the Fianna. No, they're the Fianna because a third of them are women. And... Erdok is in a position where she can become the next captain. And I do think like it links into to the beginning of the end of the Fianna because they don't renew. They don't that's the and that's the essence of Quilta's Lament, which is the story that 
or which is the, the poem that Richard translates. It's actually a story told by Quincy McGronon many, many, many years later. And he's lamenting the fact that there are no great warriors anymore. And some of the people that he mentions are the children of Dermot and Gronje, Eirthuk and her three brothers. And that's, that's part of, like, he's actually mourning her. He's mourning the fact that she died. And I think there's something there that's really powerful. And also, I think like the first time I remember, I remember uh, Maria saying this, our, our mum, when she was in the crowd um, at one of the women and warriors ones. It was it was the one we did in Whelan's on the 6th of January, which I think was last year or the year before. Um, yeah, 2019. Yeah. And it was it was she pointed out, actually, people didn't say no when Eirthuk was stabbed. It was a mostly, there were mostly women in that crowd, um, as there often the are at our shows. It was no, Nalegna Man. Women's Little Christmas as well, so, you know. Yeah, it was Nalegna Man, but, and, and, but it, was a, it was also, I think, that was like, because it was her story, because it was women and warriors, because it was a, a women-centric show, a lot of women showed up. And there wasn't a, like, no, there was a, uh, yeah. Typical. That's what, that's what happens. That's actually what women are used to. You get to the moment of your triumph and then some nameless fuckhead stabs you in the back and it goes nowhere. But there, but there is something very interesting what you said about Eirthi being stuck in the rage. And I think that's something that, that we've all experienced in terms of like some of my exes, <laughs> who I love dearly. But being stuck in the rage cycle of, let's not mention names, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> being stuck in the rage element of of feminism and that that only pre- brings back more or doesn't doesn't actually move it on move the discussion further because it gets stuck in a hate and it makes men evil and vindictive and you you go nowhere and you just yeah. get caught and in a cycle and then men men turn a blind eye to it and say no that's feminism and can't look at that and it's then you don't actually get to scary. yeah and actually, that's something that I, I had a conversation with Me- Melanie Lynch, who's the, the founder of Her Story, about that, um, you know, in the lead up to this show as well, which was, you know, we were talking about about rage and the need to move beyond it and the need to, in her words, transmute it and actually take it to something something else, because there's a lot of energy and anger. And I think that's also why it can kind of become a little bit addictive especially when it feels like righteous, like you're in the right. You can kind of start chewing over it because you get this kind of boost out of it and it starts to feel good. Um, but if if we're not able to actually transmute it into something more, uh, something more positive and something more inclusive, then yeah, we do get stuck in it and it's it becomes alienating. Because um, as, as good as it feels, unless you're able to take that energy and do something different with it, it it doesn't go anywhere. And I think that's a really interesting thing about the Eirthog story. You know, if, if we take that reading that she's not able to move beyond the rage, maybe that's why the Fianna doesn't renew as well. Maybe it's because, maybe it's 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 both, uh, yeah. you know? And maybe maybe an Eirthog, like an angry Eirthog at the head of the Fianna would not have been a good leader for them. Um, and so your man comes up and stabs her in the back. Um I mean, but maybe that's that's the metaphor of of you know you can't lead with just rage to 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 level it all out. You can't just seek revenge 
and 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 demand equality or demand fairness then afterwards because you're reading with the wrong foot you know gandhi knew it maybe Eckett didn't um and like maybe she did and that's why i like that's why i like the ambiguity of leaving her leaving her in that moment where and and it's 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 a truth of the story as well that we don't know what her next action would have been yeah so we leave it open to the possibility that maybe she was going to move beyond her anger and that choice is taken from her because that's the action of Lodhorn. That's what he does. Um, he, he takes the choice away from her and that's why it's a tragedy. And it has become, yeah, it's become our ritual. It's become our, our herstory ritual to, to tell Erdok and to get everyone to shout because I think that like that, that's something that, uh, I always think is nice to bring that ritual and make it more inclusive is to get everyone to shout together. It's become a part of our bigger live shows. Absolutely. Um, it started in the festivals um, when we got people to shout. And it was, I think it started with the, the, the bulls for the first time. But it, like, we were recognised that, oh, just a big roar together yeah. just gets us to go. The, the first time we did it actually was in Arcadian Fields. Um, it was you weren't you weren't at that one. Uh, it was myself and Aoife Kavanagh telling the stories. Correction: the very first time was actually in Grange Gorman when it took me by surprise when me, Rue, and Dara and Stephanie Dufresne uh, was there as well, uh, and we I told the bulls and I went and he roared because uh, like he went over and roared and it was just a big group of people watching in a giant um, before their student accommodation it's just big giant um, shed that was some form of warehouse and just this roar came back to us and he roared again and he roared again <laughs> it was amazing and it was all full of performers and acrobats and jugglers and people who were just super into it like so that helped. <laughs> yeah, well, like it was, it was after, it was after that, it, like that. My first experience of it was in Arcadian yeah. Field, and after that, we made it a deliberate part of our live shows when they were big enough, and we kind of tell people we are going to ask you to shout, um, because usually they need priming, um, and yeah, this was the the thing that we we got them to shout in the Sugar Club was awake, and uh, yeah, if we woke up an angry mother goddess. Oops. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not drawing any parallels. There. Listen. Sometimes you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot of COVID was already a thing. It was already a thing. Let's not even mention. I didn't say. No, no, no. Say the word. Let's mention it. There's. I'm just saying. There's a lot of healing that's happening on a planetary level while we are all suffering through this. The um, mayor. I want to read out a message that was sent to us last night. I only saw it just before we started this. It was just. Really, really lovely. Uh, thank you, Paula Manny, or Pio Manny. Um, you guys are doing a wonderful job of reigniting the stories from my school days. I'm enthralled and transported by them. Please keep up the good work in this difficult time and know that you are admired and cherished by many of us out there. Smiley face. Um, so that was a really, really beautiful message from uh, Pio Manny and uh, Antonetta. And I just want to say thank you so much for all the people that have joined our Patreon page. Oh, Sarika, you want to say something? All right, I'm live. Oh, God. Sorry about the uh, confusion with all these guys. Um, there was a bit of a delay with Sarika's computer 
and it just it just crapped out uh, to no way. Um, I am now live again, just going to finish off this post-show podcast, which has been a bit of a mare. <laughs> sorry about that, uh, and sorry for having to stop, start, because the Zoom thing. Um, we're just going to put this up. Don't worry, the whole podcast will be edited and we'll have it up as a post-show podcast to our regular viewers. If you have any questions, let us know. Uh, thank you so so much for all of the Patreon support that we're getting at the moment I have a whole list of names that uh, I want to just give a shout out to and thank very much uh, got a lovely message from Antoinette and P.O. Manny recently uh, thanks for reaching out guys um, and Kira the Santi sent us a lovely message as well but she's been really ingratiated by the Irish spirit and how she loved this Kesser story uh, making her feel very Irish from abroad um, P.O. Manny sent us a lovely message uh, as well last night uh, thank you Antoinette thank you George thank you Gordon Claire Kieran Santi Laura Sarah Nicole Darren Andrew Adrian Hannah Darren Jake Keith Liam Alex Lucy and Anne-Marie uh, all for joining the pa- Patreon uh, this month um, that's all in April and some people are just giving us a small m- amount um, uh, Grawmore uh, Great Chat uh, Ru, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Sorry that it was uh, cut off. Sorry, Sorok isn't here right now. But just to bring it to a nice close, I wanted to thank everybody who's been supporting us in this difficult time. We don't know when we're going to get to do a live story again. and uh, But knowing that these stories are received and heard and listened to, thank you, Anna. Great chat uh, with you as well. Delighted you were listening. And sorry that Sorok isn't here to wish you goodbye. Her computer crapped out. And I'm just glad that we're able to tell these stories and they're received and that you're listening and that it's enjoyable for you. So thank you. And last month we got a good thank you from uh, Ryan O'Connor, Susan, Jack Cody, Elizabeth, uh, Tara Clark, you legend, uh, Kirtan, Deirdre and Niamh. Thank you so much last month as well. We forgot to give you a shout out uh, until now. Uh, thank you very much. Slon and hope you're keeping safe, washing your hands and coughing into your elbow. Um, all right, guys, we'll be back with another podcast on Wednesday, and that's my one. I gotta get recording that right now, and we'll be chatting again next Saturday at one o'clock. So until then, grow more and good luck. <laughs>